If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds. And while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The Glass Noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 142 of Confessions of a Marketer, customer loyalty is dying. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Mark Schaefer is back in to continue our discussion about his book and lots more. Coming soon, Ruthie Shoulder on one of our favorite subjects, experiential marketing. Plus, Catherine Hayes, speaker, advisor, co-host of CMO Spotlight on Sirius XM Business Radio and author of Beyond Advertising will be in. Shea Robottom will join us for a discussion on content, LinkedIn, and video. And Ksenia Montan will be in to chat about her manifesto on content marketing teams. There is lots more in store, lots of fun to come in the months ahead. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. All right, on to Mark Schaefer. Mark is back to continue our discussion as we focus on customer loyalty dying and what marketers can do about it, plus viral marketing, what should be at the heart of successful marketing strategies, and how a marketer or executive can take practical and meaningful steps to course correct their business. Plus, we'll look ahead as we always like to do. Let's get to it. I want to talk about customer loyalty. We've kind of covered it a little bit here, but customer loyalty is dying off. And we as marketers have a challenge. What can we do about that? Well, this is certainly one of the things that shook me to my core. (laughs) As I was starting to really learn about this new world and write the book, because I mean, loyalty, we love loyalty. That's what we're all trying to do. And yet, Mark, the research is overwhelming and profound from Harvard and from MIT and from Accenture and from Deloitte. Loyalty is going away. And I read this one study, I think that was from McKinsey as well, where they actually said spending money on loyalty programs is a waste of time. 
Spending money on sales funnels is a waste of time. And I'm just reading this and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. But it's true. I mean, 87% of our customers on average are shop around customers. This one McKinsey study showed that 90% of the verticals they studied had almost no indication of loyalty whatsoever. So a good portion of my book is devoted to what do you do? And a lot of the things that we think works, like consistent customer interactions and social media engagement, has almost no long-term impact on loyalty. One of the big ideas in the book is this idea of being the most human company, building this loyalty by going back to these human connections, by finding ways to get people involved, to show their hearts and show their smiles and show their passion by bringing people together in some way. And there was another strategy, and really it was the only thing that stood out to me in terms of something that really resonates with people today, and that's this idea of shared meaning. We saw this in a very dramatic way with the Nike campaign last year. Actually, it was 2018. And the deal they did with Colin Kaepernick, who's a very polarizing individual. We've talked about him on this show with a couple of people. It's sort of become an iconic case study. But the interesting thing is that as that thing was rolling out was exactly the time I was writing this chapter on meaning and purpose. And I'm sure Nike looked at a lot of the same research that I did, and it was a very calculated move by Nike. And the one insight I can bring your listeners that I'm guessing other guests didn't know is I had some insider information and learned that before Nike cut this deal with Kaepernick, Adidas was in negotiations with him. Mm. Somebody had to do it. Why? What was really going on here? Nike was taking a stand. And what is happening today with consumer loyalty is Before a consumer will become loyal to you, you have to show that you're loyal to them, that you're willing to stand with them, even if it hurts, even if it isolates other groups. And when all that stuff was rolling out, Nike lost $4 billion of market value in one day and people were burning their shoes in the streets. I have this friend, he's a big, hefty, middle-aged white guy living in Indianapolis and he said, I'll never buy their products again. This is unpatriotic. This is un-American. I said, they don't care. He said, you don't understand. I'm really mad. I said, they don't care. You're not their audience. They don't care if you leave. They're reconnecting with their core audience, which is basically urban-oriented males under the age of 30 with disposable income to buy $200 shoes. And they had to do something dramatic. And it's turned around and it's worked for them. And one thing I want to mention while we're on this topic is that this is not a strategy for everybody. And I'm very disappointed by a lot of the frenzied articles I see on the web. Every brand needs to take a stand. Every brand needs to be politicized. Every brand needs to be working on meeting and purpose. That's just not true. First of all, it's a very risky strategy. Second of all, You can take a stand without being controversial and polarizing. You can be uplifting and positive. And the other thing is most people, if you think about the thousands of products that people buy in a year, how many of them would say, well, I have a relationship with this brand? How many want a relationship with this brand? Most people just want to be left alone. And so it does occur in some places, but sometimes you just want a hamburger because it tastes good. Sometimes you just want a car wash because it's nearby. 
I don't care about your branded content. I don't care about what you stand on. I just want a car wash. And I think for most consumer goods, it's sort of that way. I think we're getting into this weird era of navel gazing and marketing where we got to have meaning and we have to have purpose and we have to establish these deep consumer relationships. And the four Ps still work really well. Sometimes people want a coupon. They want a deal. Maybe it's convenient. Maybe it's being shipped or delivered a different way. You don't have to take a political stand to establish need and serve your customers. Especially in the B2B area. Yeah. I have a real feeling for B2B because I've done a lot of work in the area that actually B2B isn't really a thing, although it is from a purchasing standpoint, that there are human beings making the decisions. You should treat them as human beings. And that kind of comports with what we were just saying. But in the B2B area, I don't know that I care that much about whether the company I'm buying, you know, a computer from or uh, networking equipment has taken a social stand. Maybe I care whether they're a good company versus a bad company, but you don't have to take a stand on every social issue to get my business in that area. Corporate social responsibility is important. And I'm starting to see this in B2B where I was recently meeting with some salespeople at a big B2B tech company, and they said that on some of their RFQs, they're asked to make a statement about the company's CSR policies, what they're doing around sustainability and the environment and inclusion. I think that's important. But again, I think it's like you said, people are people. Those are just table stakes. That's not a point of differentiation. If you say, oh, look, we stopped polluting so much. Well, thank you for being normal. (laughs) We're now hiring more people of color. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you for being normal now. That's not something to go, you know, beat your chest about. So let's talk about beating your chest. So so <laughs> vi- viral mar- <laughs> viral marketing is kind of, you know, the Tarzan approach, right? Beating your chest and yelling out at the world, word of mouth. So how can we get our best customers to do that for us? I talk about that quite extensively in the book and have lots and lots of different ideas. One of the ideas Let me talk about two of those big ideas. One we're hearing a lot about, one we're not hearing so much about. The one that we're hearing the most about, I think, is experiential marketing. And this is something that's very exciting to me because consumers love experiences. They love trying something new and being maybe immersed in some cool visual surroundings where it's natural for them to take videos or take photos and post on social media. One of my favorite companies in the space right now is Giant Spoon. And they're creating these amazing immersive experiences and having tremendous success with that. But that's not easy and that's not cheap. I mean, certainly there are different degrees of it, but I think that is a very, very interesting and exciting marketing trend that we're going to be seeing a lot more of that in the future. Now, one trend that we don't hear a lot about is word of mouth marketing. And I mean real word of mouth marketing. I mean person to person, not just hoping something that will go viral you know, in some digital way. But people trust each other. They trust their friends. And especially if they're buying something over like $500, yes, they're going to search on the web. They're going to get validation on the web. But if you're buying something over $500, you're probably going to talk to your friends and you're going to talk to your family. You might even pay attention to these people we call influencers because people see them 
as trusted resources and friends. Sure. And so the math and the research shows that about 10% of the population are super sharers. They love to talk. They love to share their stories. They can't wait when they hear something relevant and interesting and new. They can't wait to tell somebody about it, even if it's in line at the movies. Yeah, right. They form the heart of my Facebook feed. Right. They probably do. You're exactly right. How do we create these stories in a relevant and interesting way? And how do we get people to start sharing those stories? That is a really overlooked art and science, I think. And in this digital world where everybody's creating all this noise, not everybody's really trying to find ways to insert their stories into you know, the carbon-based world, into the real world, where people are chatting and talking, especially you know, as we're recording this, it's around the holiday season. People are talking more than ever. They're at parties, they're at family gatherings, they're spending days and days and days together. And what are they talking about? What did they buy? What did they see? What television shows do they love? Word of mouth marketing is something that I think is the oldest form of marketing, but in some ways, I think it's going to be sort of a retro trend that we're going to see more firms paying more attention to that. What does that require? Does it require a tagline or a jingle people remember? What is it that can kind of foster that type of word of mouth? I think taglines and jingles can maybe remind people to talk about a brand or something that they're excited about. But what it really requires is coming up with something that's interesting and relevant. Let me give you an example that I was aware of from the JetBlue airline. One of the things about JetBlue, now here's a pretty big company, pretty big brand. They do a lot of advertising. One of the things that not a lot of people know about JetBlue is they are a peanut-free airline. Now, if you're a parent with children that have peanut allergy, that is a super huge deal. Absolutely. All right. Now, that is a story that is authentic and interesting and relevant that needs to be heard by parents with allergies. So now, how do you create that story? How do you ignite that story? Where are these people hanging out? In the book, I call this the consumer islands. Are there Facebook groups of people that have children with allergies? Are there community groups? Are there support groups? Where are they finding their information online? And then how does JetBlue show up and explain, look, we're different. And if you are afraid of this with other airlines, we're the place to go. And that is very, very powerful. If you start getting people who are vitally interested in that story, sharing that story, that's better than any advertisement you're ever going to take out. Can we take a look ahead? We're recording this at the very end of 2019. By the time it gets out, it'll be 2020. What do you see coming in 2020 and beyond? Some of the things I've been thinking about are really sort of unusual. (laughs) I love this. I mean, it's my favorite discussion point, really, to talk about what's going to be next. I kind of live in the world of next. And one of the things that I see that could have a profound impact on marketing is I see this thing bubbling up. I call it this trend of culture in, brand out, where instead of having, what did they used to call those things, Mark? It was like a book 
that defined your logo and how the logo is placed. What do they call that? Like a brand identity book. Yeah, or mood board. Everything you say and how you say it is dictated and annotated and you don't vary. And what's happening today, it's a lot of that is just like going away and you're saying, look, the customer is the marketer. We've got to let the customer tell the story. The brand is not what we say it is. The brand is what they say it is. And what are they saying right now? How do we respond to micro trends? I saw this example where this television network was having a big convention in New York City and Pepsi created a rosé flavored Pepsi just for this big event. So I see that the brands are sort of like responding in micro ways and more creative ways instead of like always pounding the same message over and over and over again. So if Pepsi is selling rosé flavored cola in a limited way at an event, That's not a brand book. That's saying we're here right now being relevant to you in the moment and tomorrow it's going to be something different. I think that is a huge and interesting trend. Another thing that (laughs) it's right in front of everybody's faces, but we're looking at this in economic terms and not really marketing terms is nationalism. So if you think about when you and I were starting in marketing in the early days of the web, it was so exciting because we saw the web as this big global opportunity. You could find anybody, connect to anybody, sell to anybody. And you look at something like what was happening in the early days, like Arab Spring. The internet was this amazing communication tool that was uniting people in different ways. And what's happening now is it's not uniting people. It's disuniting people. I'm not sure that's even a word, but that's what's happening. Not only are people not connecting to people who are around the world who are different than them. They're using the internet basically to reinforce the tribes they're already in. That is starting to happen with countries. So India is pulling back from a lot of the commitments they had to American tech. India is saying, we don't want this in our country. We want our own products. We want our own system. Russia is creating an independent internet that they can close off from the rest of the world. China has kind of done that. Leaders in Germany and France are trying to figure out how do we disconnect from some of these powerful American tech companies like Facebook and Google and Amazon, and they're suing these companies. And so what we're seeing in the political world where a lot of nations are starting to become more isolated and hunker down, if you think it through, that has a profound impact on how we go to market. And people haven't really been talking about that in terms of marketing and selling, but that's a huge megatrend. There is a tendency in America and the United States of America to think of us as the world. Mm. You know, the World Series is not really the World Series. (laughs) So when we think of the internet, right, which is the world, we just think of the U.S., And if it works here, it must work everywhere. But that isn't the case. Oh, it's never been the case. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Speaking as someone who worked all around the world, it's one of the biggest mistakes you could ever make is to think, oh, well, look, it's a hot item in Japan. It'll certainly work in America. And that was the case like with texting, which was, you know, five, 10 years ahead in Japan. And it took forever for us to cotton onto it here. Yeah, I mean, I remember about 
six or seven years ago, there was a huge, huge trend around these, what were the codes where you scanned the code? Oh, the QR codes. The QR codes, right? QR codes are everywhere in Japan. They're ubiquitous. They're on anything you could paste a QR code. And I can remember about six or seven years ago, this was such a hot trend. And there were even two agencies that I know of that were building like a QR code specific marketing competency. And I said, look, you know, just because it works in Japan doesn't mean it's going to work here. And it's, I predicted right in the middle of that frenzy that it wasn't going to work because Americans, they just want something now. I mean, I was visiting in France. They had these like kiosks where to get the latest information on a bus schedule or something, you had to open it up on a QR code. Think it, this is ridiculous. Just slap a piece of paper there or something. I want it right now. I don't want to figure out what app I need to do to open this thing. When you require that intermediary piece to open up something, it's not going to work. For some reason, it worked in Japan, but I knew it wasn't going to work in America because we just want it immediately. The QR codes were kind of just a reboot of the QCAT, which was this scanner that was around like in the early 2000s, and it would read barcodes. And I remember when I first saw a QR code, I thought, oh, that's the QCAT from a few years ago. It's just everything old is new again. This has been absolutely fabulous chatting with you. I really appreciate you making the time for this, and I can't wait to get it in the hands of our listeners. Thanks so much for joining me, Mark. Well, thank you, Mark. It's been great. It's certainly such a delight talking to someone as insightful and experienced as you. So thanks for being so well prepared and doing a great interview today. All right, next time, Ruthie Shoulder on experiential marketing. So stay tuned. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.